Exodus chapter 33 tonight, please. The book of Exodus in chapter number 33. And uh, I don't know if I was ready or not. I was kind of enjoying what we were doing. I'll be honest with you, just kind of sitting there and uh, watching you all uh, testify and sing and letting us just sit back and enjoy it. I kind of like that. i tell you what I liked about those testimonies tonight. I like it when anybody testifies when God's in it. But I like it when some of you testified who've been saved for a while. And you've lived, you've lived a life, and you've seen God in the good times and the bad times, uh, in the low points and at the high points, and yet you can still stand and say, you know what, through it all, God's been good, God has been faithful. And isn't that, it's, it's just something about that. Truth is always true, but there's something about having to use it, having to live with it, having to trust it, lean on it, stand on it, and watch God come through and just say, yeah, I told you so. And there's just something about that that'll just make that that much more rich in your life. And I appreciate those good testimonies. I sure am praying God will meet with us tonight. I know this. We don't have time to waste. And we don't have services just to kind of play at this thing. We need God to speak to our hearts. And I long for him too. And uh, I believe God can still send revival. And uh, listen, it might not ever happen nationwide. But I'm not real concerned about that. I'm more concerned with my heart. And you need to be concerned with your heart. And if nobody else gets something from God, you can. And I'm praying tonight God will speak to us. Here in Exodus chapter 33, we'll begin reading in verse number 18. It's a very familiar text, but it, it's with what God laid on my heart for tonight. And I pray God will use it uh, for you. In verse number 18, the Bible said, this is Moses speaking. And he said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now here's God responding. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before thee. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee, and will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And he said, Thou canst not see my face, for there shall no man see me and live. And the glory, or in the, I was thinking, I'm getting ahead of myself. You think about that. If you really want to get in God's glory, you have to be willing to die there. A lot of folks never get to see God the way we could see God because they're not willing to die if need be. And I'm talking about dying to our flesh, dying to ourself, allowing God to, uh, to, to help us to get back on the cross. People say it was a good day when Jesus got on the cross, and it was. That was the best day. But it's also a good day when you and I get on one as well. And he said, no man can see my glory and live. Watch what he said in verse number 21. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me, and thou shalt stand upon a rock. And it shall come to pass, while my glory passeth by, that I will put thee in a cliff of the rock, and will cover thee with my hand while I pass by. And I'll take away mine hind, uh, hand, and thou shalt see my back parts, but my face shall not be seen. I want to draw your attention to the request Moses made in verse number 18, and we'll go through this text as we preach tonight. But I want you to see this prayer request of Moses. He said, I beseech these, and I'm begging you, I'm pleading with you. This is what I hunger for, God. Show me thy glory. Yes. Now, that means a whole lot more when you consider the context of what Moses has been going through. And what Moses is about to go through. If any man had seen God and his hand in his life, Moses had. Moses had experienced that in a burning bush. Moses had experienced that through the combat with Pharaoh. Moses had experienced that at a Red Sea. He'd seen God be real in the wilderness with the pillar of fire and the cloud and the manna. And all of these things that have happened, he has seen God. But after going through what he's been going through and about to face what he's about to face, here's what he understands. If I'm going to make it any further in this thing, I'm going to need a little bit more. 
I'm going to need something a little bit different. I'm going to need something fresh. He said, God, I know I've seen you before, but I'm begging you. I plead with you. Reveal more of yourself to me now than you ever have before. I want to preach for a little while tonight on this thought. It sure be a good day for God to show us his glory. It'd be a good day, wouldn't it? For God to show us his glory. Let's pray. God, please help me preach. I pray you'd use this message. I pray that you'd speak to the hearts of every man and woman, young person, every family. And I pray you'd give us a desire and a hunger to see the glory of God in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. I believe with all my heart that if we could just get a glimpse of the glory of God in our services, it would totally revolutionize our churches by the time we met again next Sunday. Not only would it revolutionize our churches, I think it could absolutely turn our, son, our country upside down if God's people got a good glimpse of the glory of God. I think our preaching would be affected. Our prayer life would be affected. Our witnessing would be affected. Our attitude would be affected. Our singing would be affected. Our churches would be affected. Our families would be affected. And because of that, our world would be affected. I think about what happened in Second Chronicles when they dedicated the temple and the Bible said that after they prayed, the place was shaken and the glory of the Lord filled the house of God. And I thought about that. Wouldn't that be a good thing to see in this generation? Sometimes we come to church and think was so-and-so there and so-and-so wasn't there. But really it doesn't matter as long as God shows up. And I wonder when it was last that you came to church and you didn't look around and see who was and wasn't on the roster. But you could say without a doubt that God met with us in the house of the Lord this evening. You see, there's a lot of churches have a lot of entertainment, have a lot of program, have a lot of put on this, that, and the other, but not a whole lot of God. But I, oh my, but I wonder what might happen if one church in one town somewhere in this nation will get a hunger and a burden to have more than status quo and the dead church down the road and say, we might not have every program. We might not have the biggest names on our roster, but I tell you who meets with us every once in a while, every once and while there's a breeze from another world and a visitor from another country and God walks down the aisle and moves through the pew and gets on the singing and invades the preaching and God meets with us at our church. It's amazing to me as I prayed today in the room, it's amazing to me what most modern day Christians beg God for. It seems like so much of what we want from God is associated with that which is temporary and deals with the physical and leaves off the eternal and does not deal with the spiritual. By that I mean it's not uncommon for me to hear a Christian beg God for help. And listen, that's not a bad prayer. God is our helper and I believe God wants to help us, but I'll say help is not desperately what we need. I hear a lot of Christians that'll beg God for healing and I'm glad God is the healer and he wants to heal, but I'll say healing is not what we most desperately need. I hear a lot of Christians That'll pray for America. And they beg God for political intervention. But I'll say though that's good. That political intervention is not what we most desperately need. I'll hear Christians pray and beg God for a good service. And what they mean is let us have fun. Let us shout. Let us smile. Maybe let somebody get emotional. And that's fine. I want to have a good service. But that is not what we most desperately need. There's a lot of beseeching going on. But I'm afraid we're beseeching 
for all the wrong things. I'm saying where's a group of God's people that are tuned in and honed in on one thing. And by the way, it's a big thing. And that is getting God to show up and move and meet with them at the house of God. I'll say everything else you need and everything else you want would all be taken care of if we really got to see the glory of God. Oh my, the glory of God would revolutionize everything. Everything else would shrink in comparison. Every other issue would fade away. All of our priorities, like I said last night, would get put in the right place if we could see God high and lifted up, moving in power, and see the glory of God. In Psalm 46 and verse 10, he said, Be still and know that I am God. But if you read that psalm, you'll find that psalm is filled with war and storms and heathen that are raging. And here's what God says. I tell you what you need in the storm is not for me to calm the sea. What you need in the storm is not for me to get your ship to the other side. What you need in the battle is not for me to step in and fight the enemy. What you need most of all is not for me to provide what you think you need. He said what you need is me myself to step in and make myself known unto you. He said if you just quit running here and there and trying to make it happen and trying to pull the right cord and press the right button and you just seek my face. I'll step into your situation and make myself real big. Oh, that would change some things today, wouldn't it? If we quit asking God for everything and just ask God for Him. Oh my, say God, I've got a lot of needs, but you're the main need. I've got a lot of wants, but you're the primary one. I'd like to see a lot of things, but I want to see you most of all. Imagine what that do in your life and what that would do in my life if we got just a glimpse of the glory of God. I'm talking about leaving the outer court, getting into that inner court, opening up that veil and stepping into where God is. I'm talking about leaving off the crowd and getting in that private place, going up on the mountain to where God is. What if a church of folks would get a hunger for that, a desire for that, that when we meet together, God is the honored guest. Oh my God, give us a burden to see his glory. I'm saying, God, don't show us joy. Show us you. Don't show us peace. Show us you. Don't show us provision. Show us you. Don't show us blessing. Show us you. That's what we need most of all. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now tonight you know that God is absolutely glorious in everything. And that's because God is glorious in every way. The glory of God is simply who he is. God does not have to go chasing it down. He already owns it all. The sun doesn't have to find any heat and water doesn't have to find any wetness. Hey, listen, skunks don't have to find their stinks. Amen, right there. And God doesn't have to chase down glory. God is glorious whether you ascribe it to him or not. But tonight what I'm talking about is if God would pull back the curtain a little bit and let us see him in his might and see him in his power. When I think about the glory of God, I think about something that cannot be measured. I think about something that cannot be contained. I think about something that has no horizon. I think about something that has no bottom nor ceiling. It's above the heavens. It fills the earth and stretches from eternity to eternity. God's name is glorious. God's praise is glorious. God's power is glorious. God's work is glorious. God's heaven is glorious. God's appearing is glorious. God's voice is glorious. And that's because he is glory and the king of glory. Our God didn't become glorious overnight. He's always been that way. But could you imagine if God would let us 
get just a little glimpse of that glory. Isaiah 45 says, I am the Lord and there is none else. There is no God beside me. I girded thee, though thou hast not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is none else. Psalm 2410, who is the king of glory, the Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. When you imagine who our God is and consider how glorious he is, doesn't it seem kind of small to just stop at asking God for peace and just asking God for power and just asking God for joy and just asking God for a shout and just asking God for this, that, and the other? Yeah, all that is fine and I'm not telling you not to do it, but wouldn't it be right to put at the top, God, I just want you, if you just walk in, everything else will take care of itself. Moses is an amazing man. In every sense of the word, he's amazing. The way God preserved him as a baby floating down the river, that was amazing. The fact he was raised in Pharaoh's palace by Pharaoh's daughter, that was amazing. The fact that in spite of being a murderer and a stammerer, God called him into the ministry, that's amazing. To think that God would take that man to lead an entire nation out of bondage to me, that is amazing. Israel spent over 400 years making bricks for Pharaoh. Their back bore the scars of the whip of their taskmasters. 400 years worth of mire had caked their bodies in the brickyards of Egypt. For four centuries, the story of the Jew has been in Egypt in bondage until God called Moses. When God called forth Moses, his ministry was one of leading God's people out. His story is one of deliverance. When Moses stepped on the scene, Israel traded out their affliction for shouting on the way to Canaan land. Now their story is no longer in chains in Egypt, but now they're pressing on to a place God had prepared for them. I'm glad that's our story tonight, by the way. If you've been saved, there was a day to look back and say, in bondage in Egypt. But I'm glad when Jesus stepped in, I'm glad it changed from in bondage in Egypt to now I'm no longer in those chains and I'm pressing on toward a promised land. God worked through Moses to bring his people out. Now here in Exodus 33, Israel's in the wilderness. They're camped at the base of Mount Sinai. Moses is meeting with God. The taber- He's meeting with God and he's leading the, uh, God's people uh, forward into the will of God. The Bible tells us that as Moses uh, approaches uh, God, there's a cloudy pillar that represents the presence of God that descends by the door of the tabernacle. From that pillar, God speaks to Moses. Here in verse number 12, down through the end of the chapter, the Bible gives us the commentary of Moses' conversation with God. Now, as we work down to our text verse, verse 18, Moses begins to ask God to show him his glory. Let me read it again. He said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Now, I said a minute ago, if anybody had seen God, it was Moses. You think if anybody had seen God to satisfaction, it would have been that man. Moses got to see God unlike any other man really had gotten to see God. He saw God in providence. He saw God in power. He saw God in provision. Moses saw God in a bush that burned and yet it was not consumed. He saw God in the miracles performed in Pharaoh's uh, Egypt. He saw God when God parted 
parted the Red Sea with his unseen hand. He'd seen God in a pillar of fire and he'd seen God in a pillar of cloud. But I like it, Moses still hungered for more. And here he is at a pivotal point in his life speaking to God as a friend to a friend. And he says, God, I tell you what I desire. I tell you what I long for. Here's what's on my heart. Show me your glory. Now you think about that request. What an audacious thing it is for man to ask God to reveal his glory. Now you think about that. We understand that God has called out the church to give him glory. And God has given the Christian new life to give him glory. And God gave us the creation which gives him glory. When the angels sing, they give him glory. But here Moses is not asking to give God glory. He's asking God to reveal his glory to him. He's not talking about ascribed glory. He's talking about that intrinsic glory. What he's saying is, God, I want you to reveal more of you to me. He said, show me thine glory. Now I thought about this. Moses is living for God. Now think about it. Moses is living for God. But the circumstances in this text are not ideal. What do you mean? Moses is living for God, but he's not living for God in perfect conditions. I want you to imagine the physical toll that that fight with Pharaoh and then wandering in the wilderness would have had on Moses. I reckon he's probably tired. Moses has been through a battle with Pharaoh. He's gone through the emotional stress of leaving his home, going to a place he's never been. He has the weight and the pressure of a nation in need of deliverance on his shoulders. All of those years of crying and affliction and bondage have been laid on the success or the failure of this man of God. He is standing there at the brink of the Red Sea and maybe his flesh thought, I sure hope God will show up and make a way. He knows what it is to have the pressure of securing food for those people and securing their lives as they travel. The well-being of his nation has fallen upon this man. What I'm saying is at this point, Moses has faced pressure physically from walking and mentally from wandering and spiritually from warring against Egypt and Amalek in his own flesh. But more than all that, he's dealing with people. And those people every day, as he tries to lead them toward the will of God, they begin to murmur and they begin to question and they begin to worry and there's family problems and sickness no doubt and burdens he has to bear they've been in Egypt a long time and it wasn't easy to get Egypt out of them they prayed for deliverance and God had delivered them but Egypt was still living a little bit in their heart and though they're making their way toward the land of Canaan they were looking back to the old land of captivity and in fact if you look back to chapter 32 you know that text all too well. Moses has been meeting with God and while Moses is out there meeting with God, all of a sudden the people turn on their man of God and they say, we don't know what's happened to that man Moses. He's delayed in coming back. Isn't that amazing? He stood for him all those days and now a little delay and they turn their back on their man of God and they go to Aaron, that little hireling compromise sorry, and they go to Aaron and they say, Aaron, we don't know where Moses went. We need you to make us some gods. And so Aaron takes their earrings 
and their bracelets and melts that gold and he makes a calf and they begin to worship that calf as though that's the Lord that brought them out of it. That wasn't the Lord's. That's just a pile of metal right there. That's not God. I don't care if you say it's God. You can act and play like it's God, but that is not God. They begin to beat their drums. They take off all their clothes. They have a big praise and worship service there at the base of the mountain. All the while Moses has been praying. He's been meeting with God. He's been interceding and leading on their behalf. And then Moses comes off the mountain. He can hear the sound. Joshua thinks it's a war going on down there. Moses said, no, that's the people. They're involved in one of the ecumenical worship services down there. And can you imagine the heartache and the heartbreak on that man of God, Moses, as he sees those people that he loved and that he labored turn their back, not just on him, but on the Lord. And the Bible said that was sin in the highest degree. I thought about this. Moses had put his life on the line to set him free. He'd put his own neck on the chopping block to make sure they weren't wrapped in chains. He had left his home to lead them into the will of God. Now he's been meeting with God on their behalf and they've turned back to the devil. And here's why I say all that. I'll apply it in just a minute. I believe all of that goes together. And now Moses is weary and Moses is worn and he feels the pressure and he feels the stress and he might even be angry and a little bit discouraged. And all of that goes into that prayer as he looks at his life and his emotions are causing all that turmoil within and his anger rises up and the disappointment's there. He thought, God, this is hard and this is not easy and I'm a little bit discouraged and those people have let me down and I know there's more work to do and there's greater things to see but I can't make it on what I've gotten before. I can't go on what you did yesterday. i tell you what I need if I'm going to go up and lead them with me. I'm going to need to see you in a way I have never seen you before. He said, I need more of you now than I've ever needed. I need something deeper than I've ever had. I need something more real than I've ever experienced. Bigger than a burning bush. Bigger than a parted sea. Different than a cloud or a fire. I don't just need manna. I need you in my life, God. If I'm going to press on through the heartache. If I'm going to press on through discouragement. If I'm going to fight on through the letdown. If I'm going to go another mile for you. I need something more than surface. I need something more than emotion. I need something more than temporal. I need something real big. And God, I mean, I need you. I need to see you. I need to hear you. I need to feel you. I need to know you. I pray, God, you'd let me see your glory. I'm worn out. I'm weary. And I'm worried. And God, I beseech you to show me your glory. I thought, oh my. You know what he needed? He needed God. You said if anybody had God, he had God. Yeah, but he didn't have God the way he wanted. God. I like that. He had a stomach for God that couldn't be satisfied. He said, I still got an appetite for more. God help his people in this day to not get satisfied with what we've seen and not be content with what we've had and not get lazy because of how God has moved and to get a hunger inside of us that God might show up and show off and show out and let us see his glory. There's a lot of worn out people, a lot of wearied people, a lot of worried people 
people, a lot of warring people. And if you don't get something big from God, something rich and real from God, you might not go another mile. But I'm glad to tell you, God is still real and God is still alive and God is still powerful and God is still good and God is still meeting with his people. He's just looking for somebody that would clear off a spot, remove everything else from the agenda and say, God, we want to see you, God. Oh, my. If I can just bear my heart with you for a minute. How long to see that? I believe it's more than just something we can afford to dabble in. Or sprinkle every once in a while onto what we're doing. I believe it's essential. We are living in days a lot like Moses did. Same kind of people, same kind of climate. A lot of folks, I said, are worried about what's going on. You look at our country and the mess it's in, the perversity and the politics and the sin and the drugs and just the apathy among God's people. I promise you, I get a little bit aggravated with the carnality I see among Christians. But more than that, the carnality I know lives in my own life. I get a little bit upset about the compromise I see in our churches. But I'm also upset about the compromise I find in my own life. I get a little bit tired of the phony worship I think is happening in a lot of places but I'm a little bit sick of the phony worship that often happens in my own life I get a little tired of folks that have a weak walk with God and then I look at me and think well sometimes I have a weak walk with God and I feel a little bit like Moses a little bit weary from wandering and warring and walking through a desert land and I tell you I don't know about you but I need more than just a good choir number and I need more than just another meeting and I need more than just a Sunday school class I need the evident, tangible, I mean obvious touch of God on what we're doing. I need God to show me His glory. Now I want to give you a couple things here. Number one, Moses says, show me that glory. And then in verse number 19, God said, alright, here's where you'll find it. Look what he says. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before the wait a minute. He didn't ask for goodness, he asked for glory. God said, yeah, but when you realize my goodness, you see my glory. He said, Moses, you just step back and I'm going to let the depths of my goodness pass by you. And almost like a reel that's playing in your mind, I'm going to let you see everything that I've done in your life. And even before you ever existed, because I've always been good. And as you sit back and just contemplate the goodness of God, you'll begin to realize the glory of God. Maybe he said, Moses, I want to take you back to a time whenever Pharaoh was butchering babies in Egypt. And there was an unseen hand of providence that kept you sovereignly safe. Amen. And kept you safe from all that judgment. And your mama took you down and put you in a basket. Moses, I want you to know something that I was there. My hand was on that basket as you got laid in that. That's the goodness of God right there. He said, I want you to know I made that wind blow just right to make that current go down that stream. He said, that wasn't just nature. That was the man who made it all. That was me. He said, I made that stream flow just right to keep you safe going down there. He said, I kept the alligators and snakes away. He said, then I parked that basket right at the right reed so that Pharaoh's daughter would see it. He said, Moses, that's the goodness of God in your life. He said, Moses, you could have been raised up there in the brickyards, but you got to be raised in the palace. I mean, you're eating steaks while they're eating sand out there. In the, I mean, think about it, Moses. You got the nicest clothes. I mean, you got the finest house. You got to be raised there in Pharaoh's home. He said, that was me. I did that for you right there. You didn't even praise my name for it. You didn't say thank you, Moses, because you didn't know 
know any better. Hey, but listen, that was me being good to you in spite of yourself. He said, Moses, remember that day you lost your temper and you killed that Egyptian? I could have dropped you dead right there. But you know what I did? I let you get out of that situation. I gave you a second chance. That was the goodness of God in your life, Moses. Maybe that reel kept playing and took him out there to a bunch of bawling flocks at the base of a hill in Midian, that empty land and arid region. And as he's out there, he looks up on the hill and sees a burning bush. And he said, you know what that burning bush was? That was the goodness of God in your life right there, Moses. As Moses walked in the presence of that bush, all of a sudden, God spoke to him from that bush. He said, oh, you remember that day when you heard the voice of God for the first time? He said, that was me being good to you in your life, Moses. And he goes all the way through his story and lets him see how good he's been. And he said, Moses, you take that goodness and you multiply that by infinity and then add eternity to it. And it still doesn't even hit the hem of the garment of how good I am and how good I plan to be and how good I'll be in your life tomorrow. I mean, I was good yesterday, today, and I'll be good forever. He said, if you'll just sit back and look at how good I've been, you'll start to see my glory. A lot of times we wander in here worried and weary from warring and walking and everything else we're doing because we're so focused on our worry and so focused on the war and so focused on the walking that we miss the wonderful hand of God that's been working in our life. Every one of us tonight has food to eat and clothes to wear and a house to live in, a family that cares, a church that loves us. We live in a country where we have freedom and that doesn't even hit the hem of the garment of how God good how good God has been. God gave you life. God got you here saved. God gave you rest. I mean, God has been good. There's some folks here tonight. You should have been dead, but you're not. Could have been crippled, but you're not. Got a disease, and yet you're still pressing on. Had a lot of heartache, and you're still in church. Could have been going to hell, but you've been saved. You say, I wish I could see his glory. I think I just saw a little bit right there. When I think back to where I was, when God came to where I was, and he found me lost and undone, and he reached down with mercy and grace. You say, I'd like to see his glory. I've seen his glory before as a lost 21-year-old young man kneeling down there convicted of my sin. I saw him as Savior, myself as a sinner, and I repented and called on his name, and he saved me and changed my life. That's the goodness of God. You say, I wish I could see his glory. Well, then open your eyes and look. Look above the hospital room. Look above the bill you can't pay. Look above the family disappointment. Look above the heart I can see the hand of God that's been real and good in your life. Oh, I want to see His glory. I can see it in every breath and every heartbeat and the health I have the family has given me. Warmth in the winter. Flowers in spring. The laughter of summer. The changing of leaves. Food on my table. And a good place to sleep. Clothes on my back and shoes on my feet. Oh, I have been blessed. It's His arms that will raise. A voice that can talk. Hands that can touch and legs that can walk. Ears that can listen and eyes that can see. He said, I've been blessed. God's so good to me. Precious are his thoughts of you and me. No way I could count them. There's not enough time. So I'll just thank him for being so kind. God has been good. So good. I have been blessed. Number one, his glory's in his goodness. Number two, I like this. His glory's in his name. See what he says right here in verse number 19. He said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And watch this. And I will proclaim. I wish I had preached a little softer and easier before because I really want to preach this one. And I'm getting tired. Here's what he said. He said, I will proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And I've met some good exegeters. Chris Simpson and 
Brother Grantley and people like that. Good expositors. But nobody's going to exposit God the way God does. <laughs> Can you imagine this? He said, I sure would like to see your glory. He said, well, how about you enroll here in my Sunday school class? And today I'm going to teach a lesson on God. Well, who's the teacher? God. And he said, why don't you just sit down for a minute, Moses, and let me remind you about who I am. You know, you study your Bible, and names matter in the Bible. It reveals somebody's nature. It reveals their character. It reveals their station. There's a big difference in Jacob and Israel and Naomi and Mara. That name Obed means something. That name Elimelech, it means something. Well, how much more does the name of God mean something? He said, do you want to see my glory? Then let me tell you who I am. He said, just consider my name. Just in the Old Testament, Elohim, the God of creation, Jehovah, the God of redemption, Adonai, the master, El Elyon, the most high God, he can go all the way, El Shaddai, the almighty God, Jehovah Jireh, he's the Lord that provides, Jehovah Nisa, the Lord our banner, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, Jehovah Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts, and on and on it goes, but then you get to the New Testament, and as Simeon was there, after that first Christmas, he said, for mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel here's what he said to Moses he said you tell Pharaoh I am that I am that's who I am you say what does that mean he's everything you'll ever need whatever you need that's what he is whatever you stand in need of that's what he becomes he's that and so much more he's the almighty God the everlasting father he's a wonderful counselor he's a mighty God he's the prince of peace he's Emmanuel he's a corner Stone. He's the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the lily of the valley. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the rock of ages. And the stone the builders set it not. He's the daysman and the dayspring and the day star. He is the deliverer of his people. He's the everlasting God. He's the eternal one. He's everything and all that and more. He's the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the King of kings, the potentate of potentates. He is God and he's God alone. And he said, if you want to see my glory, you just think about my name. Who is he? He is the king. He is the Lord. He is God. He's Jehovah. That's who he is. His glory's in his name. Aren't you glad we don't come and rally around somebody with a name like Buddha? That doesn't even sound healthy. Buddha. I'm glad we don't have to come in here and scream Allah Akbar or Muhammad. I'm glad we don't come and rally around LeBron or Taylor Swift. But there's a name that's above every name. You say, you want to see my glory? Go, just go, let me, let me sit down here. And in, in chapter number 34, he does that. The Bible says in verse 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed the Lord. The Lord God merciful. Here he said, he said, I'm going to tell you who I am. I'm the merciful God. I'm the gracious God. That must make a Baptist shout on a Tuesday. He said, I'm a merciful God. I'm a gracious God. I'm the long-suffering God. And abundant in goodness and truth. I keep mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity uh, and transgression and sin. And that will by no means clear the guilty. What he's saying is God. I'm a God that's full of grace. I'm a God that's full of mercy. I'm a righteous God. I'm a just God. And that's just who I am. His glory is in his goodness. His glory is in his name. But I like this. His glory is in his grace and mercy. Look at verse number 19. And he said, I'll make all my goodness pass before thee. And I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before thee. And will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. 
right? And mercy is not getting what you do deserve. He said, you want to see the glory of God? Then just step back and consider the grace and the mercy that's been at work in your life. I thought about that. There's grace and mercy involved in the salvation of a sinner. I don't want us to get it twisted now. You weren't born saved, and I wasn't either. And not a one of us deserves heaven. We're all sinners. We ought to be in hell right now with our back broke, but for grace and mercy. Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. I'm just like that publican. I mean, I'm just like that old battered Jew on the road to Jericho, man, laying in the ditch right there, and the priest and Levi would have passed me by. I was bruised and bloody, broken, just ugly mess of everything, but I'm glad for a good Samaritan that came by my way. And he's saying, you'll see grace and mercy in the salvation of a sinner. What about this grace and mercy in the storms of life? I think about 2 Corinthians 12, 9. He said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. We're talking about seeing the glory of God. I tell you, we'd see the glory of God if we'd look back on the storms of life that we've gone through. And then watch how God brought us through it. That's glorious. I know every time that we preach, we preach to more than just people. We preach to, to bodies full of burdens and cares and scars and pasts. But all of us can stand up alike and testify that God gave victory in God's way in all those situations. I don't think we rejoice enough in that. I don't know about you, but I know I've been in situations where I thought we'll never get through that one. And now we're on the other side of it. God's been so good to us. Whenever we we moved from California to... I, I lived in the middle of Silicon Valley. Now I live in Calpin, South Carolina. It's almost the same. Except they had electricity where we were. But anyway, <clears throat> but I remember when we moved, I was telling the preacher, prices out there are insanely high. And that's why we vote Republican. Anyway, uh, everything's very expensive. Gas is like $6 a gallon and SpaghettiOs are $2 more a can. And Lincoln, is, all he eats is the meatballs out of those stupid things. And you're paying like 10, there's like filet mignon prices for SpaghettiOs and he'll waste all the O's out of it. But I say that to say this, when I believed God was moving us back this direction, I had just signed a new lease on a, that place where we lived. Uh, Brian's been there, and, uh, some, some of you have seen it. That house was a townhouse. You know what a townhouse is? That's a house connected to houses. All right, now that we're on the same page. I mean, it's just a little over a thousand square feet. No yard. You want to know how much I paid a month for that? I hate to tell you because you'll think I'm rich. It was $4,800 a month to rent that. I didn't pay it. Church paid it. (laughs) There's no way I could pay that thing. But here's what happened. That's why I went into evangelism to make the real money, you know. But anyway, (laughs) good night. Anyway, I should be in the singing group. Anyway, you're making mess me up, Sam. Uh, I just signed a new lease on that thing. It started in July. You know when I left, started the process to leave? Like the second week of July. You know what stinks about signing a lease on something? It's like a year contract. So I, I resigned my position, was going to go into full-time evangelism. And here's what I found out when you resign a job. Hey, you quit preaching. 
You're right. They don't pay you. They don't pay you for work you're not doing. Now, listen, they were, I had a housing allowance, and that went gone. So here's what happened. I had already made up my mind. I'd already made the public announcement. I'd already acted super spiritual about it. We're leaving, you know. And uh, my friend who's a realtor in the church, he said, don't worry about it. I got a woman. She's she going to want that house. She's going to walk through it. I prepared a message on, on, uh, on, on that verse I quoted, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. I said, y'all worry too much out here. You know, I mean, everybody's, y'all up in, up in arms out here. Y'all worry too much. God always comes through. I already planned to preach it. And he took that woman to a walk through through that house, and she wanted it. And I preached that sermon on worry and how if you just trust God, bless God, you heathens, you know, God came through. And I use that as a testimony. You know what God did for us? That's the dumbest thing to do. Don't do that. <laughs> just be quiet and enjoy it. Because God will be like, now watch this. So here's what happened. Preachers were calling me saying, Brother Cooper, we're excited. You're going to be back on this side of the country. We want to schedule for a meeting. Is everything all right? And I said, man, it couldn't have gone smoother. I said, nobody cussed me out. I mean, everything, everything went good. Well, almost everything went good. I said, man, the house, we had to lease on that thing. I said, I mean, I was in my last month of pay. And I said, that thing got leased. And now I don't have to worry about that. I said, it's a blessing. Started driving Brother Simpson across the country. Man, we drove uh, 16 hours the first day uh, to somewhere in... New Mexico, Albuquerque, and spent the night. Man, I'm on the top, went inside. I'm listening to sermons in the, seriously, I'm listening to sermons in the car. People are calling me, and I'm testifying. Man, God took care of that need. Man, God blessed it. God did everything that we wanted him to do, and then some, ain't God good? Y'all worry too much. You know what I mean? And then I got the car the next day. We were driving to St. Louis, Missouri. My brother's riding with me in that wagon train we're going across, and I'm just rejoicing. I mean, man, my calendar's starting to fill up. I got a place to live. My wife hadn't divorced me over it. I mean, we're... We're headed, we're headed back to America from California, and I mean, it's going to be good. And, I'm, and all of a sudden, I didn't get a phone call from my realtor. I got a text, and it had an emoji on it. Now, for the old people, that's like a face. You don't use the words. You just use the face. And, and it wasn't a good emoji. It was a sad one. Yeah, like that. Show them. Show, show the crowd. <laughs> yeah. Like you've been doing the whole day. Anyway. <laughs> I'm kidding. And I was like, good night, what is, I'm driving. And so I look at that thing and he said, here's what the realtor said, I don't know why God did this. I want to say, no, yeah. yeah, you told me it was good. He came up to me right before I preached that last Sunday night, told me, I said, I'm about to kiss you on the mouth. He said, I was so excited. Could you imagine how big of a, you know how much money that is to somebody who doesn't have any money? I was excited. He said, I don't know why God did this. I want to say, this ain't going to be a good text. It was like a book. Chapter 2 was the worst one. I got down there, and he said, that woman decided to back out. He said, now, the kind of contract you signed is you, you signed a lease that guaranteed you would pay until that lease was up. He said, there's no out. So now I know that, not to do yeah. that again. Like, there's no way to get out. Yeah. You know what I did? I did not tell anybody. I hate that. My, my nature is to tell everybody. I didn't tell my wife because I was, like I said, I'm just happy she's still there. And I didn't know if she was. I hadn't got to where she's at. But I was hoping she was still. I didn't tell her. I'm driving. To, I didn't tell my brother. I hated life, Bro Simpson, in that car. I thought, I missed God. You know, I, honestly, I've messed my life up. We had everything going. Every bill was paid. I could have had it made in the shade there. I mean, you know how it is. I mean, just everything was good. No reason to go. I mean. Except God did that to me. 
I got to that house and she's, it was an Airbnb because they were finishing the Parsons where I live and Desiree and Lincoln run out. They're so happy and I want to die. Yeah. Oh man, I want to cry right now and tell you I felt like a dog. She don't know that we don't have anything to pay $4,800 coming up in two weeks. They're running out there all excited. She's showing me stuff she's bought for a new place to live. I'm like, like baby, baby, you know what I mean? Like, good night. I'm like, you don't have a college degree, honey. I mean, what are we going to do for when you got to get a job? And I laid there in bed and watched the back of her head all night because I couldn't sleep. I've been telling people, God will take care of this, yeah. right? right? He'll put food on your table. I just did it tonight. Somebody said, you better watch what you say publicly. God will test it privately in your life. And I've been telling people that. And I was staring at the back of her head, and she's just sleeping soundly, and I hated her. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's not fair. Man, I'm getting up in the middle of the night, walking the floor, and she thinks, do you need to use the restroom? I'm like, yes, be quiet. And it's not that at all. I mean, I just, I'm not trusting God. I'm full of flesh. You know what I'm sitting there like, why'd God do that to me? And why'd my stinking friend who's a realtor not follow through? And that stinking woman, that is a nice house. She should have rented that house. You know, everybody's wrong on this thing. And I'm sitting there like, what in the world? Nobody wanted to look at that house. It was open to go have showings and nobody walked through it for a whole week. And I'm sitting there texting him every five minutes. Anybody look at it? He goes, no, just calm down. It's going to be fine. I'm like, you, you ruined it the first time. He's like, just calm down. It's going to be fine. I'm telling you, I was scared to death. The ver Now, this sounds like too preachery to be true, but this is really what happened. The very last possible day for somebody to sign a lease on that thing, somebody went through. And signed a lease on that thing. But him, being the friend that he is, got them to sign a lease on the thing for $200 more a month than I had signed for. So that all the money that I would have owed in the interim was covered under that new contract. Amen. And he said, Brother Cooper, he said, we got that thing leased out. Your money's free and clear. And actually, I owe you a check now because you paid your last month's rent. And since they took over your contract, you get your last month's rent back. And that paid for my pod to move across the country. So God got me across the country for free. And then also got that thing leased out to where it wasn't a heavy burden around our neck. You know what that was? Mercy and grace. I hate to use personal illustrations. I don't think you ought to ever be the hero of your own sermon. But that's all I got is my story. That's right. And if you were preaching, I'd want to hear yours. And I know all of us tonight have those. Now listen, if we're going to see the glory of God, you know what Moses had to be willing to do? Leave everybody else to go to where God was. That's right. That's right. We're going to have to be willing to be a little bit different. That's right. Maybe scorned even. Questioned. Come apart. Yeah. But I promise you this, you will not regret it. If God will just blow through and these young people got to see it, it changed their life. And by the way, it'd do something to solidify your church for years to come. Right. If we could just see the glory of God. Maybe here tonight you're a little bit dry, a little bit empty or barren. Just sort of feels like mundane and routine. Maybe you'd come tonight and just begin the process of begging God to show himself real in your life again. I remember as a young preacher, man, every day was on high. You know that? 
Sadly, though, it seems like the more truth we learn, sometimes the colder we get. Maybe you just need to come tonight and ask God to stir that up inside of you. We need it in our day to see His glory. Would you bow your heads with me? Whenever you're ready, get you a song together. Let's maybe get on an altar on this Tuesday night. And a little different kind of message, but I tell you, if we could just see it, if we could just get God in on what we're doing, it'd make all the difference in this world. Would you come if God spoke to your heart? Maybe you want to come and bake God tonight. Begin the process. I beseech thee, show me thy glory. I wonder if you have any dreams or visions or things you'd like to see God do in your family. God do in your home or God do through you in your church. Why don't you come and talk to God about that tonight? This altar is open for you to use. It's Tuesday night of revival meeting. God's spoken to you. Come, Brother Sam, you sing whenever you're ready. Altar's open.